0: Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today, uh, he co-founded Viral Launch. Many of you who launched products on Amazon will know Viral Launch. And uh, he's the co-founder and he sold Viral Launch. And he currently works as the director of strategy and operations at the god of all aggregators, Terasio. And uh, he likes to be physically active and enjoys sports. Uh, and uh, i'm happy to have him as my guest welcome to the show jordan jordan decker
1: hi nick thanks for having me
0: (laughs) so when you and i discuss we're talking about um you know how to cover this and as you know we're recording this in september of 2022 and we've got inflation up interest rates going up and of course with the inflation and gas everything goes up and the margins are being pushed down further. So at Trasio, when you acquire brands, now it becomes a different challenge, right? So you now have to work the brand. So how are you dealing with these current conditions to keep your profitability up and make them brands more successful?
1: Yeah, uh, well, that's a uh, very open-ended question, but... Um... Yes, I mean a lot of our focus at the moment is optimization. So, as I mean, people are familiar with Razio. We grew very quickly bought a lot of brands in a short amount of time. Naturally, operations are going to you know lag to some degree um, because you're just hiring a lot of people, right? And so you don't have all the systems and processes in place. And so you know while you try to build them along the way. um, So this year we've been focusing a lot on that uh, and just working with what we have. Um, We're still open to buying brands, um, we still look, you know, uh, and, um, but we're more selective, right? I mean, the whole marketplace, this is no secret, like the whole marketplace is being more selective cost of capital is up. Therefore you have to be more strategic with, you know, how you spend your capital that you have. So, um, that's been a, a one big thing, uh, is, or one, our, our main focus has been operations and how do we get better, uh, more streamlined operationally? How do we involve more tech? um, how do we i mean reporting right i mean you have omni channel uh, you have supply chain stuff right we buy a brand and there's a lot of warehouses that are you know different 3pls that inventory is at right well how do we manage that right you have one brand um, you might have five different you you might use one 3pl but you might have five different warehouses around the country that you have inventory in well now imagine buying you know a bunch of businesses who don't use the same you know 3pl And now you have inventory all over the place. Right. Then you layer on um, the cost of shipping, you know, containers and and trucking and and all and the the delays and stuff like that. So really just trying to optimize uh, what we have and the operations we currently have um, that, you know, ultimately impact the bottom line. So. Um, whether that's so, supply chain or logistics yeah. that's been the focus.
0: So what I'm hearing almost, maybe not exactly like that, but uh, almost like hunkering down and trying to make sure that the businesses operate much more efficiently and much more profitably while still being open, but so much, not so much like before.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, like we were, I mean, candidly, we were drinking from a fire hose, right? You buy a new business, everything's different they have employees and customer service and you know digital assets i mean there's like a million things that go into these things and so when you buy a lot right and you're kind of building that titanic while you're going out to sea right and so naturally there's going to be some leaks right um and that's that's not
0: that's not a good example let's not use that example
1: (laughs) not a good example i mean yeah i guess yeah ultimately the ship sinks so you're right Yeah, yeah. maybe a rocket ship that ultimately lands you know because elon musk or something so um but yeah, like that's really what it is, right, is you're you're uh, building you're building on the way up and, um, you know, you want to obviously ultimately land. So uh, it's it's really been and we were, you know, we're aware of it. But in the moment, you're just kind of buying and going along Then the headwind, different headwinds came into into play. Um, there's been kind of a shift from, well, at least from my perspective, from consumer uh um buying you know buying consumer goods to more of experiences right so COVID you know things have opened up now at this point so people are now you know going and traveling and stuff like that and they're not spending their discretionary income as much on uh online you know in on boxes <laughs> so um we've seen that shift everyone's seen that shift that's no surprise and so it's kind of been good timing in a way at least in my opinion because um, I mean, it forced us into focusing on things that we needed right. to ultimately focus on. That will allow us in the future to scale a lot better. Um, and ultimately, you, you know, you need systems and processes built out so that when we do buy those brands again, or you know, a lot more brands, then we're ready and we're prepared, and we have kind of a much clearer, uh, you know, roadmap or, or a way to integrate them into our company. So.
0: Sure. So let's unpack that concept of. Focusing on efficiency and profitability. And you mentioned right at the beginning, optimization. So in your approach to, let's take one brand at a time. So obviously you apply that across the board. Um, That one brand to optimize the listings of a brand. Do you focus on taking the existing traffic and working on converting better?
1: or do you work to bring more traffic to it? Uh, I mean, yeah, it really depends. <laughs> um, what you know, what the brand and kind of what our investment memo was from the get-go, right? Sometimes it's like very clearly there's line, you know, product line expansion, right? Where, hey, we're launching or we're selling, you know, some product, I don't know, and there's a complementary product that this brand doesn't currently offer. So then in our thesis, we would say, okay, well, we would obviously want to launch something like this because we can cross sell or or whatever, right? There's going to be some sort of halo effect, et cetera. So sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's, yeah, driving more traffic. Usually it's, I mean, it really depends, right? At a certain point, optimization is, yes, you have to always kind of keep your eye on it, but you can only optimize images so much, right? And it's kind of all just marginal um, improvement, right? And I mean even just attribution or or isolating factors, different statistics, whether that be click through rate or conversion share whatever the case may be um it's very tough with Amazon, right? you can't just like um you know oh look, conversion share went up clearly that worked right well, yeah, but what was the comp- you know what was comp- competition doing was did some key competitor go out of stock or did pricing change the pricing environment change in the market was there a deal a day whatever like all that stuff you have to really consider if you really want to start making a reasonable conclusion. so personally, i looked at i I look at optimizations as um directional uh, guidance in a sense where I don't get too caught up in like, oh, we're a little bit down or we're we're a little bit up. we got to change our whole strategy, right? like you're gonna go crazy doing that on amazon um, yeah, yeah. And, and so there is definitely a diminishing return. so yeah, you can only optimize optimize the listing so much. um I think once you get to a point where you feel like, hey you know, this is, I feel like I'm well optimized, um, which is very subjective. I understand that. But um, once you get to that point, I think you want to ultimately just look at the search, um, uh, search volume on on terms and kind of what trends are generally happening and definitely stay in tune with that. But beyond that, I will not I wouldn't get too caught up in the, you know, oh, my keyword ranking is down on this term. I got to, you know, whatever, run this new PPC campaign, right? Like, You know, then you're constantly not you're kind of working in the business, not on the business at that point. And I think your focus is probably better spent in other areas like either other channel expansion or new product launch, something like that. Um, Yeah, because, again, a lot of these sort of optimization uh, techniques or SEO optimization, all of that is like there are there are diminishing returns at this point on Amazon. In the past, it was very much different, but now it's, it's shifted a lot.
0: So, what is that point where you say, okay, from this point on? Uh, because in, you know, I always talk about the the magic bullet. Like everybody wants a magic bullet, right? There so, is no
1: magic bullet. Yeah. So
0: I say that there are two magic bullets and on for success on Amazon. It, it, even though it's not just a simple thing, but those are the things that 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 you would you would focus on and track numbers. The first one is your click-through rate. So whatever keywords you're targeting, what is your click-through rate? If you increase your click-through rate, you're bringing more people to your product page. So focus on that. So if you're not getting the numbers that you want, uh, or you're not satisfied, so maybe you're targeting the wrong keywords. Maybe something is going on there, Uh, or the keyword, maybe the popularity is gone, whatever. So so watching that click-through rate is, is one thing that I always recommend. And the other is the conversion rate on the product page. So if your conversion rate is up, uh, or I should say, if your conversion rate is satisfactory, then fine. If it's not, then you you should work on it because there is a, a minimum that you should achieve. So uh, would you agree with that approach?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how we structure it. So we look at things in traffic and conversion buckets. So where we start when we like are tackling a problem or looking at a product is is it a traffic problem or a conversion problem or both right and so when you start at when you start at it with that kind of framing um it helps because there's a lot going on right there's a lot of data etc and then we have a um like we have matrix, matrix matrices in such that will essentially like okay if it's a traffic traffic problem look at this, right? <laughs> like, where do you kind of start to break that down and figure out like, is, you know, what is the problem? Is there a problem? Is something shifting? Whatever the case is. And what is it? What makes something a problem? Well, I mean, your goal, based on your goals or your objectives, right? Like if it's a traffic problem, right? Well, okay, theoretically traffic is down. Um, then it's like, okay, well, where was I getting traffic before? Uh, what keywords, what, ch- you know, what advertising channels or campaigns, etc. And how do I or you know, what, like, and then you dig into each one of those and kind of start to see right so like, a very common example is okay, you're running, you know, you used to spend or used to you get 100 clicks a day through this one search term. Uh, and now you're at 50 well, okay, you know, you were starting to lower your bids because of profitability was down or, you know, A cost was going up or whatever the case was. And so now you are no longer spending your, maybe you're not on top of search and you're on rest of search or delivering more in rest of search, right? Okay. Well, now you have to go in and work with, well, internally at Thrazio, we have a whole PPC team. So a brand manager would work with a PPC partner and they would say like, hey, uh, you know, like we're noticing this or, you know, my traffic's down. I'm seeing my clicks are down. PPC partner would dig in and they would, you know, theoretically come up with this. Oh, hey, this is what I'm seeing. You know, we're spending a lot less in these areas. What do we want to do? Right. And then it's becomes a question of like, OK, do we want to continue to hit that velocity? Do we want to scale back? Do we want to look for other opportunities like to like sort of reallocate that capital? Um, so, you know, then it kind of ultimately leads into execution of like well what do we want to do about it if we're not okay spending at that level what are our options and then you kind of explore every option so you see so what what
0: i heard you really describe is you should track traffic for the keywords that bring visitors to your page
1: yeah you really want to understand where your traffic is coming from right like you know there's there's the aggregate statistic of um, you know how much ses- how many sessions you're getting, but then below sessions there's you know organic and paid. Okay, well there is really no organic tra- um, tracking of like oh I know from this keyword I had this many organic sessions or impressions or however you are looking at it. Yeah. Um, you don't really have that. You can kind of work around to sort of get some <laughs> reasonable conclusion, but it's you know okay at best uh but with with uh advertising which is obviously a big chunk of amazon uh sales these days you know more and more so is becoming the case um you you can you you know you get more granular data and you can better you can look at your tra- at least that traffic source aka paid traffic source and get a lot better understanding of like where you're spending money and how you want to re- you know how you should reallocate essentially. and
0: how about external advertising
1: yeah i mean to amazon listings like a vast majority of products it's not i mean it's not great <laughs> like you're not going to like run all, all these profitable sales from google or youtube or whatever um, to amazon um, but we have we have partners we have affiliate partners we have um different a- other assets we have uh except and just yeah just different partnerships that allow us to run deals whether i mean maybe we're trying to liquidate a product Um, maybe we're trying to just run profitable sales, but we're trying to obviously have, you know, some sort of spike in sales or whatever the case is. So, um, that's definitely a viable uh, option. I mean, I love affiliate partnerships personally. I think it's some of the best ROI you can get. The challenge is like, you know, I think everyone understands that to some degree. And the question is like, okay, well, you need that partner to want to work with you. And frankly, your product has to be unique ish to some degree. I always make the analogy with someone buy. uh, a set of toothpicks on a, from a Facebook ad? Probably not. Like if you need toothpicks, you're just going to go and buy them. Like you don't really care who they're from, where they're from. You know, it's just a very, very basic good. But if you have something that's unique or you have a an unique angle or spin to it, or you're maybe you're a well-ish known brand or something um, then, you know, there are options there, but in general, like external to Amazon is relatively tough to do profitably but you can definitely drive volume there's no doubt about that yeah.
0: do you when you have talking about traffic so when you target, when you're creating a strategy around what kind of traffic to bring and how much do you predetermine how many keywords you're going to target and how much tra- traffic you're going to aim for or do you just get out there and then look at what happens and then figure out later
1: yeah i mean it's a lot of trial and error you know so Um, I mean, generally, you're going to look at uh, some of your main keywords, you know, Um, probably not if it's external, you're not going to look at generic terms. Um, So like if you're selling a dog bed, you're probably not going to target dog bed because it's too generic. It's not targeted enough. Uh, If you're selling a large fuzzy dog bed or something like that, you probably want to target some of the more long tail stuff. Um, if you want to be more profitable, right? Because you're going to generally have higher conversion rate because why? Well, you're selling something very specific to what they're searching versus dog bed. That person isn't exploring, right? Their discovery, like, I just want a dog bed. They don't maybe know what or how big or for what type of dog or what material or whatever. So um, you don't want to just, in general, you're not going to want to do generic. But um,
0: but so, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, set of
1: keywords, um, mid-level to like long tail, Right. So I call them modifiers. So like it's dog bed and then the modifier would be like um, fuzzy dog bed. So fuzzy would be like a modifier or an identifier. I mean, there's a number of ways people coin it. But yeah. So, I mean,
0: I I guess you answered it, but I just want to hear you uh, (laughs) say clearly. Uh, So I had a guest a few weeks ago. He ran a PPC agency. This guy is, is, is pretty... Focus like he was an MMA fighter, so he's okay. You know, even when he was talking, he was like in a ring fighting, (laughs) he was was lazy, yeah. And so, um, he said that in his opinion, it's better to target popular keywords, not so much long tail. So, the question was, do you target one or two popular keywords versus several long tail keywords?
1: Yeah, it depends on what your objective is, right? If you're trying to just run volume, then yeah, you're going to do the most popular keywords. But in my opinion, I mean, just if you just think of it logically, right? Think of someone going to Google and you're selling a dog bed, right? And if your ad pops up, you know, sponsored ad, Amazon listing, dog bed, whatever, like Someone searching dog bed, I mean, just go look at the Amazon traffic and how that flows, right? Your conversion rate for dog bed is going to be lower than it will be for something more long tail, right? So, um, and you know, that's what everyone naturally is going to target, right? You have all the dog bed people who probably want to go after the dog bed terms. Why? Because the volume's there. It's no surprise. So if you get a little more long tail, I'm not saying it has to be, you know, fuzzy dog bed with black liner for you know golden retrievers right like not, we're not talking that long ter- long tail but I think there has to be some sort of unique identifier at least otherwise I think you're just going to really struggle to convert and you're probably going to waste you know spend a lot of money but to be fair I'm not some you know master external ads guy I don't run that um, I just know like you know through what we've done and also just through talking with other individuals that I know and kind of what their strategies are but again like it's really, regardless, it's always, you got to try things and see what works, you know? Um, I, I just like to set up, all right, let's think of this logically, what makes the most sense here. And to me, it's, if you, someone is searching dog bed, their buyer intent might not be high. Who knows what they're searching dog bed for? I don't know. Are they trying to buy? What's their behavior like? Are they trying to buy or are they just researching dog beds? I have no idea. Where if you get something a little more granular, most likely that behavior is going to be a little bit different, Um so yeah that's just my two cents but again i'm not the google ads uh, or you know external ads professional here so what is it
0: what is a good uh, monthly search volume if you have a number to target for a keyword that makes that keyword worthwhile to spend time and money on?
1: it's all relative right i mean there there's really no right or wrong answer here um (laughs) uh i mean i would personally like for a vast majority of products it's going to be a small percent of your overall ad spend. I can tell you that now, in terms of what terms to specifically search for. um, Because,
0: uh, you know, when we are building, yeah, when we're building listings, we're looking for keywords that will be viable to make part of the listing. And so usually the filters that you said is anything between 500 to say maybe 10,000 monthly searches Uh, those search terms that are like 100,000 200,000 it's just pointless because so so much traffic you won't get much well what would you say is that a good number to aim for
1: well I mean first before I even dive into any of these numbers I would say well you really have to understand your keyword market is it a very is it very narrow, right? Meaning there's a small percent of keywords that make up a vast majority of the uh, the searches. If it's that, right? Like I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing like toilet paper is a pretty narrow keyword market, right? There's probably not a million different long tail toilet paper terms, right? It's very basic commodity, um, you know, not crazy there, but something that's like dog beds are I'm sure pretty, pretty uh, you know, wide in terms of variety, right? People. Mention their dogs in the dog bed and size of the dog and material and who knows what else memory foam and not, you know, whatever, right? Like, there's a lot of that going on. And so um, I think before you, you can even consider like, what's a good keyword volume to target, um, I would look way more at what is the reality of this keyword market, right? And then based on that, kind of narrow down, like, so what you said of, hey, the most generic term, but most probably most search term Um, how much do you really want to target that? Now, if your product is a market leader, then you can start to dive into that and you're going to be able to convert because you're a market leader for a reason, right? You got more reviews, better rating, better offering, whatever the case is. Um, But if you're like a newer product or you're like, we'll just say, I don't know, not in the top 10 in your subcategory, very low likelihood that you're going to have any amount of scale to spending on terms um, that are, if, if we're talking about Amazon, Uh, ads or you know amazon internal ads um there's a very low likelihood that you're going to be able to scalably drive much traffic from those terms um and a lot of times people get priced out of them because think they're competitors they want to maintain their position and they have let's just say they're 11th in the subcategory they have 10 people above them who are more than happy to buy that traffic uh if they can convert better well They're probably getting lower cost per clicks. They're going to, they want to defend what they have. They're, they're probably okay. um, Defending and, you know, having break-even sales or maybe losing a little bit of money on each of their ad sales because they want to defend and not lose that, you know, their market share. And so you come in and you want to outtake them. Well, they already have an advantage on you. So unless you're willing to outspend them, you're probably not going to get that traffic. And so you really have to like, understand that that's the reality and commit to like do you want to enter that fight or not because you know it will ultimately be a fight this is how cpcs get going is you go above them and they go above you and this is right, a very right. way It's like fighting them. the buy box right yeah, <laughs> exactly exactly it's this, yeah it's very similar
0: so what is a good conversion rate you look for
1: uh <laughs> If it's, well, again, it depends, right? If you're a higher price product or it's like a higher type price type of product or there's a wide range of um, options. So like if there's $50 options and $400 options, um, the conversion rates are probably going to be a bit lower, right? Because people, the people are probably more discovering um, like, well, do I want the $40 one or do I want the $140 one? Well, you know, maybe they don't necessarily know, right? And so they're gonna search around a lot. Naturally, conversion rates are going to be lower. So for a market like that, you might be at 10 or 15%, it's like pretty good, right? But we have products that, you know, they're a market leader there. It's kind of like, you know, there's a range of, I don't know, you're from $20 to $40 in the market, you know, for a vast majority of the top 50 sellers. Um, If it's more condensed like that or kind of like everyone's kind of interlocked, um, then your conversion rate is going to be higher because everything's kind of similar. People probably aren't going to sit there and like, oh, this one's a dollar more and this one's a dollar less. I'll just buy the one with more reviews or the better rating or whatever. So there's there's a lot less decision-making going on. So then you're going to be looking at 20, 30% in general. But something important to note with conversion rate is like, where is the traffic coming from, right? Because you have certain inputs, right? And also the
0: amount of traffic, right? Because the higher the
1: traffic, the lower the conversion rate. Exactly. And so like, if you just, I mean, if you're looking at conversion rate and, but you just started some ad campaign or something, and you're kind of exploring and figuring out if you do it, but you've had a 50% increase in sessions in the last week, you know, your conversion rate can go all over the place. It can go up, it can go down, but most likely to probably drop unless that. Traffic was really targeted. And again, it depends on the source, but like if that traffic was very targeted, then okay, your conversion rate could theoretically go up. But for the most part, it'll probably stay the same or could go down because you have so much more traffic and that traffic isn't like warm yet. Or you're not sure if it's warm, hence why you're trying it out, right? <laughs> you're thinking it's going to be warm traffic or AKA, you know, it'll convert, but it might not. And so um, I, I like, I mean, it's important to w- watch conversion rate. Personally, I don't like put too much weight into it. Again, I think conversion rate is a directional statistic. I think you look at it. I think you see trend over time. But because there are so many inputs and things going on, it can be very tricky to like, I would not be making too many decisions based on, oh, my conversion rate is down 3% week over week. I'm, you know, oh, I got to do something, right? It probably is just general market things happening. Um, And this is where understanding what your competitors are doing and how that impacts you and what you're doing and how that impacts you. That's why that's so important because, you know, some people will just look at conversion rate and think, oh, I went from 30% to 25% week over week. And I must have a conversion problem. That's not why, you know, I'm not, that's why I'm not retired on the beach yet. Right. (laughs) And you know, that, that may be true, but if you're a product that's been around for a bit and like you kind of are, you know, establishing the market to some degree, it might not be like, you might, you should maybe just sit on your hands, right? You might, may, maybe it's just like, oh, the next week it'll go up to 28%. And now it's like, you know, you're kind of like establishing that meme. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, that's my perspective. Well, that.
0: it's just looking at the number is not enough. You need to track the numbers in, together with the events surrounding the numbers. So if, yep. and also those events are internal events, external events, like if you've changed the picture, maybe you, you started, Uh, increasing your paid advertising or whatever those things are uh, you need to be somehow tagging them as the numbers are coming in so that you can see and then there are the external events so if you do a good job tracking your conversion over time and you are able to tag the events that influence those that were originated by you then the only thing left is the external events that you never know. It may hit you in the face, right? So yep. uh, things happen. But at least you can narrow it down to, to th- the fact that it was an external event. And then you can go on Facebook groups or whatever and then ask anybody who's experiencing, and you'll very quickly find out that something is going on and that yep. it's Amazon-wide or it could be your category. So, okay, that, that's great. So. You, you, At the beginning, you said, look, we, we want to make sure. So the question was, how are you managing the current conditions to be more profitable? You said, okay, we focus on optimization. So I wanted to cover optimization. So now let's move on to inventory. So uh, you mentioned the, the fact that you may have multiple warehouses. Again, we're talking about one single brand, and they may be using 3PL, um, and they may be using just their own warehouse or a combination of both. Sometimes. Um, FBA takes time to receive the inventory, so they start shipping it themselves. So you have, at the end of the day, you have inventory in multiple places. So, And as we know that running out of inventory is absolutely to be avoided because it will cost you ranks and whatever. So how are you managing your current uh, operation so that you never run out of inventory? And give us the, the, the context of shipping from one location versus multiple what are some calculations that that you are allowing in the process
1: yeah um, i mean i can only speak at it at a high level cuz i'm sure, not a yeah that's chain all we guy. are um but i mean it's really important i really believe that the winners and losers in this space long term will be like those who have the most optimized supply chain because i think with i mean the trend that margins when i started selling on amazon 10 years ago my margin was like 75% for a uh, very, very basic commodity product. And I was like, it's one of the top sellers or you know whatever, top seller in here and there type of thing. So that's where it was. That same market, their margins are probably 10% now. Um, again, very heavily commoditized, like nothing unique type of market, but that was the first market 10 years ago. Well, what's the trend? this. Well, it's only natural, right? Like if I can sell for 70%, you'll come in, I'll sell for 60%. I'll take, you know, I'll take that all day long. And eventually you get down to this point of like, yes, it will bottom out to some degree. um, But, you know, things kind of to a degree has to come down. I'm not saying anymore, but um, that's, that's been the general trend. So how do you, you know, when you look at your expenses or what goes into your product, how do you, increase, you know, do you, how do you reduce your cost of goods, right? That's one question. How do you reduce your advertising costs or your cannibalization, right? Or advertising as a percent of all, you know, all your sales. So like, that's a question. So um co- cost of goods, reducing cost of goods is a huge thing, right? Not only do you buy inventory um, or, you know, you obviously buy inventory, you ship it, but you also have to store it if you're not selling it, whether that's an Amazon or a 3PL. So a big thing is for us is, okay, well, we want to optimize our supply chain so that we are reducing the amount of storage costs as much as possible so we don't have stuff sitting in. So again, do we ship it all to Amazon and let it sit there? And maybe that makes sense because there's less shipping, right? There's less touch points. So, you know, maybe we save money and that it makes sense to do that. Versus, hey, maybe it does because it's way cheaper to sit in this warehouse and then ship to Amazon, you know, but it's a US-based warehouse then maybe we do that, right? So it's that's one of the calculations or one of the things you have to determine. Um, you definitely don't want to air freight if you can at all <laughs> uh, avoid it. It's very expensive. Um, if you have a very small product, sometimes it makes sense long-term, but for the most part, probably not worth it. I know some people will, um, and by some people I just mean like Amazon sellers, in the past they've expedited inventory and they ship some via air freight, um, to, to get it there. So they don't run out of stock. Lesson. I, I, I personally, I believe, and I don't have data to back this up, but I believe in the past, it was a lot more harmful to run out of inventory uh, for a long period of time than it is these days. So personally, I would generally elect to run out of inventory than I would to expedite inventory, kill your margin on that set of inventory or probably that whole PO to begin with. Um, and then just, just to get in because oh, I don't want to run out of stock. Like, and it, it depends a little bit, you know, where you're at in the marketplace and what type of market you're in you're playing in. If you're in like a very hyper competitive marketplace and you know how hard it is to get traction and like you know, get a leg up, then maybe you make exceptions, but um, you just have to be very careful with making those big decisions on, you know, I mean, I think this is where a lot of Amazon sellers, especially traditional ones, like we didn't have to pay attention to this because our margins were so high. We're making so much money. It didn't hardly matter. Right. Um, And so no one sat there and really took the time to like, okay, like what makes the most sense for me and how do I plan? Um, And of course, things are always going to happen that are out of your control. But for the most part, it's really a planning exercise. um, And you know, how well can you demand plan? Right. So like, do you know what type of deals you're going to run? Right. So we Demand plan. So all that is, is, hey, we determined for the next X amount of time, we'll just say three months. How many do you think we think we're going to sell, right, of this product? Okay, it's thousand units. All right, so that's our demand plan where it says we're going to sell for, you know, we're going to sell 1,000 units. So we need at least 1,000 units in Amazon available for the next three months. Well, okay. Where's our where's our inventory now? Do we have to place a PO? Do we have stuff sitting in you know in the sea somewhere, right? Do we have stuff in the three PL warehouse? What do we have at Amazon? And all of that stuff kind of goes into the overall picture of like, hey, we're planning on selling a thousand units. So now, how do we best kind of balance, <laughs> um, you know, where that inventory is and when we get it there? Um, and so that that's we have the benefit of like we have a lot of data because we have a lot of products, a lot of brands, you know, and so we can kind of see what tends to work a bit better, depending on the circumstances. You know, we also have some economies of scale, right? So we get better rates in general and things like that, which is an advantage. Um, And that's where I think aggregators, um, if, you know, all else equal, like that's where they have a big advantage is in the economies of scale and the systems that that are built out and the relationships that are built out. Um, because you know people want to work with us, right? Because we bring them a lot of business. Like it's it's you know that's just how it goes. So um, yeah, that's all I mean. But that's all I can really speak to on that. Like I I don't really know. So um, all the what, yeah.
0: What what I'm hearing is uh, you need to have a uh, as real time as possible view of the the amount of inventory you have in all the locations. If you have 3PL, Amazon, and your own warehouse, let's say, most complicated, then you need to know real-time at all times what you have in each location per SKU. In addition, you need to know what you have as open PO at yep. all times because that becomes part of your potential inventory level. And then you need to compare that against what your sell-through rate is compared to your your objective that you said and yep. then check what the shortfall is if any and then if there is shortfall order it in time so that you do not incur these expedited shipping costs because not everybody is rates, you guys so uh plus it makes no sense to waste money so yep. that's really what I'm hearing from you. So, right. Uh, would that be a, a good su- summary?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say the summary is plan as much as you can ahead. There's always going to be random spikes in sales. Who knows? Maybe a random affiliate that you don't even know, you know, sell, you know, and you 10x your sales for one day and that throws your demand plan off. So you have to have, you know, some fluidness. It's not like you're going to time it like perfectly. It's going to be available on this day sure. and the next day, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, But the more you can, and also like you have to assess risk, right? Like what is, I mean, one thing we look at is, okay, like this is a top selling product in a competitive market. Okay, it's a lot riskier for us to run out of inventory here than it is on all this little product that we kind of like don't really care about as much or it's not going to impact us as much. We're going to be a little bit less concerned about like potentially running out of stock for a week in this, you know, random little market than we would be for, you know, a hyper competitive market. So it's kind of the cost of doing business. Like you're going to carry probably a little bit more inventory than you want. You can't time it right. How long something checks into Amazon is, I mean, it's, it's right. Like, you you know, you don't know, right. You have this like plus or minus five, 10 days, whatever the case is. And, you know, seasonality comes into it. So it becomes a very complex problem. I mean, uh, you, I mean, just, I think you bucket, you you bucket your product or your bucket your locations or where your inventory is, right? So is it onshore? Is it offshore? Where is it at, et cetera? And then just try to have a realistic picture of like, I mean, it's really just an Excel spreadsheet if you really want to simplify it for yourself. But like, okay, when am I going to run out of inventory based on what I think I'm going to sell? And then always kind of track against that and say, okay, am I on, on, you know, on track, off track, that type of thing? And then you can better determine where um, and there's, you know, there's tools out there that help with some of this. I'm not familiar. We have our own internal stuff. So like, I don't know what, you know, the best thing yeah. is to use today. You
0: know, I'm going to say something. Uh, I've heard this from many people, anybody also for anybody listening to this, do not keep looking for an inventory planning tool or software. Yes. There isn't one you, you have to, because everybody is different, whatever is out there, is just the starting point and frankly whatever is out there you can put it together yourself because it's very hard i mean every question i ask you said it depends right so uh, it, and it does it because everybody's different everybody's objectives are different so especially with inventory it's it's very hard to find yeah. off, the, off the shelf
1: Yeah. And the integrations with 3PLs and these, you know, freight forwarders and such is like really bad. There's no standardization really. Yeah. Um, And again, I'm not an expert in this. I just know like it's, it's, everyone's different and it's like, there's gotta be, for anyone out there who wants a good business idea, solve this problem and you'll make a lot of money. (laughs) But like, um, it's a big problem for everyone. Uh, Integration is just really bad and really understanding like the holistic view it's just not there. At least I haven't seen it. If Well, you know, you know, you know what I'm finding,
0: market. Jordan, uh, w- what I'm finding is this a lot of, a lot of businesses. And, you know, as you know, there aren't too many large businesses on Amazon. Most yeah. of them are small operations. So most of these businesses don't seem to have a good understanding of how critical inventory is in their financials. So, When you ask them, okay, how do you know the value of your inventory? Say, oh, we we do an inventory
1: count once a month.
0: How can you operate like that, right? So, you
1: should know in real time to the best exactly, like how much you have sitting in cost of goods, right? Yeah,
0: so I mean, the but the the point is, in order to plan, so the, the, the roadmap that you provided, you know, how many at Amazon, how many at 3PL, how many at home. And how many you're selling through and how many open POs in order to have that kind of analysis or plan, you've got to know real time what your inventory is. And that comes down to integration of your inventory with your accounting system, which will then show you real time on your balance sheet, what the value of your. So it's a byproduct, but they don't really get that. So they set up their systems in a way that they never know. So I say. Before integration, solve that problem. You will mm-hmm. already be halfway through.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, and and a, this is where you get a lot of people who they think they're making a lot of money because they're selling a lot. They don't. They don't understand their margin profile or all their expenses. Yeah. And they, they just think that, like, I, I've done this myself, right? And I could get away with it before because it was, the margins were crazy. But it's like, okay, I sell this for $20. I buy it for five. And, you know, whatever. My Amazon fees are five. So I make $10 a unit. I sell a hundred a day. I make a thousand dollars a day. Awesome. But then it's like, Oh yeah, but what are your ad costs? Okay. Well, there's, you know, $300. Okay. So now I'm at 700. All right. Now how much did you pay in storage? Oh shoot. Okay. Like theoretically <laughs> that's in cost of goods, but that's something that's constantly shifting around. Right. Cause it's like you're carrying more at sometimes and less than sometimes. So it's like, it's a complicated problem. Uh, Or, you know, like if it was really easy, people, it wouldn't be an issue because people would just like go and it's like, oh, this is how much, but it's like, it's worth spending the time really understanding this. And frankly, it'll give you the confidence to do some of these other things that might dig into your margin, right? If you're thinking like in my example of the $10 margin, right? Oh, I can spend more on PPC because I'm making 10 a unit. Now maybe I'll just spend $5 a unit on ads versus $3 a unit. Well, okay, great. But what I don't realize is the $5 I have left is actually being eaten away with other expenses that I'm yeah. kind of not calculating. And then by the end of the year, I go, dang, I didn't make any money. <laughs> it's like, but the whole time I'm thinking I'm making money. And this yeah. happens all yeah. the time. Like I've seen it so many times. And it's- yeah,
0: yeah, I'm gonna take it even a step further. So, so let's assume, take your example, you're making $10 a piece and you're selling a thousand pieces a month, let's say. Okay, so that's 10,000, right? So in your mind, you made $10,000 net profit. So let's assume that those calculations got factored in and you have another $3,000 cost, let's say. So you're down to $7,000 a month. So you're thinking, okay, I'm making $7,000 a month. That's a a pretty good number. So I say, okay, how much inventory are you carrying to make that $7,000 a month? They say, well, usually about $30,000. So now you have to make money for four months without taking a penny out of it just to finance the inventory that you are carrying in order to continue making that 7000 So that is the killer because that's when I say to people, you know, do you ever say to yourself, I don't understand. Sales are up. Our margins are good. We're making money, but we never have any money in the bank.
1: (laughs) Yeah that's the reason
0: so that's a ratio as a metric that i always keep an eye on i call it liquidity ratio or inventory liquidity i don't know what what you would call that but uh i mean there's cost
1: of capital there's like net present value there's opportunity cost right like is that thirty thousand sitting in that inventory for that product is it better spent elsewhere is it better spent on marketing or, or, or a new product or whatever the case or investing in the stock market. I don't know, you know, like if you're just a small mom and pop, you know, person, it's like, is all this effort worth it to like have yeah. all this money sitting in here, all this risk and that's relative, but like risk, I mean, it is inventory. It's sitting there. You invested the money. You can't just go like return it at the store, you know? Um. So like, you know, if, if, if something happens, you know, oh, now I got to blow out my inventory. Well, now I just lost five grand, 10 grand. Because, you know, whatever happened, or I ran out of marketing dollars, or now I'm taking out risky loans, high interest loans, Yeah, exactly. to continue my marketing spend, and it, it spirals down. So just you really got to understand your numbers, um, like very much because, I mean, if you're, you're probably here to make money, you're probably trying to make money on Amazon, I don't think this is a charity. So like, you're trying to make money, uh, it makes sense to best, best understand your inputs to the best of your ability. And it will give you the confidence to operate. Um, And to make some of these like bigger decisions on like, do I want to do that deal or not? Do I want to push? Do I want to spend on that specific keyword or not? Do I want to get in that fight or not? Um, And if you understand your numbers, you're going to have a lot more confidence and you're not going to get caught at the end of the year of, oh, I lost money or I didn't make any money. And I thought I was making money this whole time. And it's like, well, you probably should have just had a job and not done this Amazon thing because, you know, you would have made way more than, you know, what you just did. So, yeah.
0: So, uh, Jordan, this is uh, great. I want to ask you one of my favorite questions, uh, and you are the best person to answer this, really, because you're operating many, many brands in an organization with clearly defined roles and responsibilities. So what does it take to be successful on Amazon as a team? Describe for us the roles and responsibilities that Amazon sellers should uh, identify and put on the table as something that they need to do Uh, give us your take on it
1: yeah this is a very interesting one so i mean i think that a single amazon seller right a mom and pop you know maybe it's a one or two man team or couple or whatever the case is um they have advantages right because they're doing a lot of all these things they're in the weeds they have to figure this stuff out they understand the business a lot more they understand their costs or their inputs that go into it Um, But they have to do a lot more. Right. They're kind of a one man show. There's no one there to sort of outsource. I mean, there's obviously ways to outsource things, but like they're kind of responsible for everything. Right. And so in one respect, I mean, it's high risk, high reward. Right. They're investing their money and all that. So they have that advantage of they're doing a lot now we have teams right we have dedicated teams so we have an seo team a ppc or i mean marketing team a ppc falls under that we have external ad um, people we have a creative team we have supply chain legal etc right you name it so we have all that stuff that someone else doesn't have right Um, but we also have expenses that other people don't have right we have offices we have you know you name it right and so it's it's different so A new, you know, or like a small seller, they're nimble, they're they have lower overhead, um, but they also are sort of required to to learn some of these other things, which is going to take you know more time. So, uh, in terms of like operating a business, like it's a very interesting question. I'm a very big believer that um, you, I think if the moment, the moment you take yourself out of the weeds of the business, looking at data, looking at keyword trends, etc. Um, I think your business will likely very much struggle. Can you find players and people who can, you know, do that work for you that you can either hire in-house or outsource? Yes, they're out there. Um, in my experience, a vast majority of agencies out there, uh, just like, they're just tough to work with. They, they you know, they have other clients, right? Maybe you're high priority, maybe you're not, you don't know. Of course, they're going to sell you a bag of goods. Um, I mean, that's their job. But like, it's tough right and the Amazon marketplace is tough and so outsourcing stuff to agencies in general I'm not a big fan I'm not saying don't use any agency under any circumstance um I just think it disconnects you from your product and the reality of your market and your product like as I mean a very common one is advertising agency right oh handle our all our PPC that's great you can do it and it very well might be worth it I'm not saying it's not but for me I would say I look at that as having kind of done a lot of different things in the space. I look at that as that's going to disconnect me from interacting with my product and my market. And so it's going to make it harder for me to compete long-term and to know like where I should go next with my product, where my, with my market. Maybe I'm, um, you know, facing sort of uh, obsolescence, right? Where it's like, but I don't even know it. Well, if I was looking at my PPC more or more in tune with that, I might notice that before everyone else And so now I get a six month, 12 month, 18 month jump on that shift in the market and then I can execute on it. Whereas I just, you know, I'm more reactionary because I'm working with this partner that isn't necessarily, you know, there to find that opportunity or to like mention it to me. So um, that's the common one that people do. I think creative work, a lot of that you can outsource. There's a lot of great creative agencies um, I mean, a lot out there. Uh, so don't, I mean, in general, I probably wouldn't have an in-house uh, creative team. We have an in-house team, but for a reason, like, cause we have a lot of products and, you know, we need things quick sometimes. And so like we, we have our reasons, but most people aren't going to do that. Right. It's not going to be the best use of sure. your capital. Um, obviously the more tech you can use, the less you're going to have to do. I really think the the owner, the longer that you can focus on looking at keywords understanding your market and your product, understanding your advertising and this whole, you know, kind of all these things that people talk about when they talk about optimization, I think you're going to be have a way higher chance of success than trying to hire that person who's going to be that. Because if they're good at it, for the most part, they're probably running their own business. Um, or they've made their money and they're not that incentivized to like go back into it and go work for you, you know, or you probably can afford them. So that's my general thought is like, I, like you, I mean, if I threw numbers around it to me, until you're at least, at least doing like hundred grand a month in sales, which it sounds like a lot, it's not that much. Like you're not making a lot of money off of that in general, especially when you're starting out. Like I wouldn't even consider outsourcing just about anything. Right. I mean, there are little things here and there, creative stuff you outsource. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I, I think you have to like put your head to the ground and just really like focus on your business and that's and if up. it's
0: if you have good margins right yeah if you well don't have yeah. good margins then you need to even make more and then you ask yourself yep. why am i doing this so um okay so you've given some very good uh, parameters so at the end of the day unless you are generating significant amount of revenues uh, with good margins you learn it yourself make sure that you understand because not only that you'll get the job done but also you it will bring you closer to what's going on on the ground out there right so that's yeah, the,
1: that's yeah and people like point. people want the easy solution or like oh well if i just hire these three people then they're just going to build my business for me and stuff and it's like uh, it's this business is not like that i mean i've seen a million people try different million different things right and like the strongest people are the ones who are the ones that are in the weeds they really understand what's out there they understand the data they're trying new things um you just need an edge on amazon right and you really yeah. have to understand it and i think a lot of people come into this space and they think that like oh well if i just watch these youtube videos they're going to teach me all i need to know <laughs> and then like i'm going to hire someone and you know i'm going to teach them or i'm going to buy them this course and they're going to run this business for me and like okay you know uh, go for it but like you really have to understand it and Um, because, and frankly, like there's going to be times at running your business where you're going to have to make a big decision. Like, all right, do I want to spend this much on whatever activity? Right. And it's a lot of money and you're going to view it as, oh, I'm taking this out of my paycheck or out of this, out of my bank account in a way, investing it in this business. Right. And so to me, you have to have to feel okay, making that decision. You have to understand your business and trust like, okay, I've done the work, I've done the research. I'd feel comfortable with it. Here's, you know, this is what I can hang my hand on. I know that my product is better than everyone else's, or or whatever the case is. I've, you know, out researched everyone. I don't know, right? Like, like you have to be able to hang your hat on something and know that when you're doing these activities or spending these this money or trying to figure out if you should, um, you really have to understand like what's going on for you to feel confident. Otherwise. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to, you know, have some losses and you're probably going to quit, frankly. Like you're going to, you know, you're, you're not, well, going to be- you know,
0: somebody else doing it at the end of the day, this is your business. It doesn't work. They walk away. You are still stuck with it. And so, and also if it doesn't work and it ends badly, you know, with Amazon, you know, that account is going to be there for you. If you in the future want to come back, then something goes wrong with that account. You're gonna to have to fix that first before yep. opening a new one, right? They won't open.
1: Yeah, so. a lot. A lot of us people who started selling seven years ago, their account, uh, their seller accounts, probably worth more than their uh, than their business.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this was great, Jordan. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up?
1: Uh yeah, so I grew up like suburb south suburbs of Chicago, um, you know, suburbia, if you will. Um, and now I'm in Indianapolis, so moved down here like five years ago now, four or five years ago. Um, so, so yeah, were I mean, you were you always entrepreneur?
0: Because you know, you you were an Amazon seller, then you started viral launch, and now you are in transit. So uh, were you always entrepreneurial growing up?
1: Yeah, I had little like lawn care businesses and stuff. I started working for my grandpa when I was like 14 or 15, whatever it was. Um, And so he was in irrigation. So I was actually going to maybe like take that over before. uh, But then I decided to go to college reluctantly. Um, Not a a big reluctantly.
0: Why reluctantly?
1: Well, I mean, so I I was an athlete, so I ran in college and stuff. So um, that like, I guess that attracted me to going to college, I guess. Um, I'm... I mean, I think a vast majority of people should take a take a gap year or uh, really figure out what they want to do before they just go to school blindly and, you know, spend 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a year with, you know, I mean, you're 18, right? Like how much do you really know about what career you want? Most people I know, it's like they generally change their major a lot. They get out and they don't use their degree, et cetera. So I was very much in tune with that. And like, okay, do I really want to go to college? I went to school for business um it was okay uh but when you're running in you know when you're learning amazon and running you know how to run a business or whatever as an 18 year old you learn a lot and you're like making money and you're like man i'm paying to go to these classes and i don't feel like i'm learning that much and over here i'm making money and i'm learning a lot and it's interesting right and it's like it's a very crazy like paradigm in your head or like okay how do i you know, like, this makes no sense. Why would I keep doing this other activity, aka college? So for me, uh, I ended up dropping out, uh, like, you know, because of viral launch and stuff. But, um, you know, that that's kind of, that's why I say reluctant. So what
0: made you, so is it, uh, so you, you come from a family of... Uh, yeah, I have two
1: siblings. Yeah, I have an older sister, younger brother. Um, and they so are also in business? What's that? They are also in business? Uh Nope. Nope. My dad's in insurance. My mom uh, was a beautician. So yeah, no, they're not, not, it's just kind of me just being. So what gave you this
0: entrepreneurial, what gave you this
1: entrepreneurial interest? It's a good question. Um, I'm kind of against the grain kind of guy. And so. You're a rebel. Uh, yeah, a bit. Uh, I, I'm always like, I always toe the line of like getting in trouble, but I generally don't get in trouble. Um, I probably shouldn't say that publicly, but no, uh, nothing serious. But um, yeah, I was always like, I, I've always been a bit of a rebel uh, to a degree. I I mean, entrepreneurial efforts or, or, or sort of uh, initiatives back when I was back in my day, like 10 years ago, it wasn't like this sexy social media thing that it is today or a lot, at least a lot less. So now it's like, you know, around every corner on the internet, it's like start your own business and drop shipping and Amazon yeah. FBA and affiliate marketing and blah, blah, blah. So, um, but back then it was like, I mean, I dropped out of school and uh, people, you know, people were like, oh, why don't you just finish? And, you know, like, like that type of stuff. And it was still had that stigma. And I think it's a lot less so, but, I mean, now it has a different stigma, probably. So you but. mentioned your you
0: work for your grandfather. Yep. So he had a business. Yep. So uh, he had a business, but your father went into insurance. So he didn't uh, was that you so you had a good relationship with your grandfather, I assume.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, my uh my grandpa is probably the hardest working guy ever. I mean, he's still alive, but um that I've known, like he he would he how he started his business is Uh, He was working at Ford Motor Company. So he was like on an assembly line, you know, putting parts together or whatever. And uh, he did that for 20 some years. And then while he was doing that, though, he started his irrigation company, which is just like lawn irrigation, nothing crazy, but, you know, underground. And uh, he would he would go to work. uh, He'd wake up, I forget, you know, 5 a.m. or whatever, go to Ford, do his do his thing, get off at three, four o'clock, whatever it was. Um, and then he would work till nighttime. He started his irrigation company. So he literally hand dug his whole yard and he laid wow. the pipe down, put the heads in, et cetera. While he was doing that, his neighbors saw him and they're like, Oh, I want one of those, you know? So then that's how he started business. And then people just start talking. Um, you know, his dad wanted him, and my great grandpa. And then like his friend, and like it just kind of all snowballed from there. And then eventually it got to a point where he was like, man, I'm making way more doing this than working at Ford. Um, he would also drive truck up to Milwaukee. So we're, like I said, from Chicago. So he w- it was like a two hour drive. So he would literally like go to Ford, do his irrigation company till you know, whatever, eight, nine, 10 o'clock, whatever it was till it got dark. Then he'd run a load of whatever up to Milwaukee and back. Um, and then he'd, you know, get up and do it all over again the next day. And so eventually he cut that out. He gives me the story of, he's like, I knew it was time to stop doing the whole truck thing and working this hard when uh I would wake up in another lane driving this big semi. <laughs> oh, I was, my God, yeah, that's probably a good decision. I wouldn't be here today if it was was for that. So. um, So anyways, yeah, he, he and then he went full time with that. He never spent one dollar on marketing uh for 34 years or something. Um, It was all word of mouth. He constantly turned away business. And it was just because He worked hard. He went the extra mile. Um, He would like people would, uh, you know, have little issues like, oh, this head isn't working or it's spraying on my driveway or whatever. Right. Maybe the lawnmower, a lawnmower hit it or something. And so he would like be going out to dinner with my grandma for that night. He's done working and he would just stop by and quick make an adjustment and do that. So it was like just the little extra stuff um to me is what really i mean just being honest he was just very honest He went the extra mile and so
0: would you say maybe i mean since your siblings are not in business your father was not in business but your grandfather and you speak very highly of him maybe uh you following in his footsteps
1: yeah i think so a little bit um i was gonna take maybe take over that company the type of work i wasn't like super excited about it i mean i like i mentioned i i did it i worked with him and i like helped him in the summers and stuff. So um, I was aware of it. Uh, but I just never was like that excited. It's a lot harder of a business to scale um, for a variety of reasons. So that kind of made me yeah. not as interested in it. Um, but it was a great business. I mean, it worked out really well for him. It wasn't for well, that. I think
0: reason, so. he also built a life around it with values. And and yep. I think that was a much better education for you than.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyone. Yeah. I mean, he like we would go out to dinner all the time and he, we would just be at a restaurant and one of his customers would walk in and just start talking, you know, and they were just like friends, you know. And oh yeah, he's been a customer for 20 years, you know, that type of thing. And he was just like, even today, he he retired, he sold it and retired. But um he even today, like he's like, I still have people who see me around and oh, I just wish you would go back in business, right? <laughs> like, because it's just, I mean, there's a there's an opportunity there, like, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean I
0: understand this because I had a special relationship with my grandfather so okay. he always uh, he would tutor me and everything. So uh this is great. It's it's, it's great to have such a person in your life. So this yeah. was great Jordan. So give us your contact information. How can people reach you?
1: Yeah, you can reach me, uh, jordan.decker at thraz, thraz.io or thrazio.com. Uh, you can send it to either of those emails. So it's D-E-K-K-E-R is my last name. So J-O-R-D-A-N dot D-E-K-K-E-R at thraz.io or thrazio.com. Um, yeah, just send me an email. Happy to answer any questions. Um, I have a decent perspective on a lot of different topics. Um, so so yeah, any, any questions, happy to answer them.
0: Great. Thank you, Jordan. This was great. I'm sure people will listen and and follow the roadmap you provided to get through this period and then thriving again. Hopefully. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having Thank me. You. appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, and fine. this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on
1: Amazon Legends.